0: It's time to dream again about what the church could be. This vision is intended to come from Christ himself. So what does he want from his church, and how do we reclaim it? Join us as we journey through the New Testament to discover how the ancient paths inform the future church. Yeah, I have to say one of the best things about having cancer is not having facial hair rub up against the microphone. Can I get an amen? I have a sports analogy to start out with this morning, so if you're not a sports fan, I'm going to try to make it really, really simple, Sam, Uh, and make sure that we're all on the same page. I love baseball. Any baseball fans in the room? Sadly, my San Diego Padres were eliminated last night. Such a disappointing moment. Good luck to your Dodgers. Um, Baseball, like so many team sports, is a community activity. In baseball, you need nine people. Nine people all working together towards one common goal. Everybody has a role, everybody has a specific set of skills that they're good at, and they have to apply those skills collectively as a team for the team to be successful. One of the most exciting plays in baseball, in my personal opinion, is the suicide squeeze. Anybody know the suicide squeeze? That's my baseball fans. Baseball fans are apparently on this side of the room today. So you've got a runner on third base. You've got one out. The game is tied. You're trying to get that runner across home plate. So you can take the lead. You've got a guy at the plate. Maybe it's even like you know Babe Ruth who's just going to like do the whole point and swing away thing. Maybe not. You never know, right? But you've got a guy on the plate and the manager. He's sitting in the dugout. He's got his sunflower seeds and he's just spitting seeds and spitting seeds and he's thinking about what is he going to do? Oh my goodness! And so he does like some sort of like weird like you know you know spectacles and all this other thing like touching elbows and shoulders trying to make some sort of special move to the base coach over on third base. And you're like, what is he doing? Is he dancing? Is he bogeying? What is he? What's going on over there? So the coach gets the cue, talks to the runner, base, uh, base guy at the bat, with the at home plate, he gets the cue. They all know. But the guy who's pitching has to not know what's going on. He's got to be completely oblivious. Because otherwise, you're going to have the third baseman and the first baseman crash down to try to get that bunt guy. But the guy at the plate, and here's the most beautiful part, the guy at the plate sacrifices himself. He lays himself down for the good of the team so that that one runner can come across the plate and score. That sounds an awful lot like a faith community, in my personal opinion. The, baseball bat, the batter gives himself up for the good of the whole. Baseball, you often find, is good when the team plays for the good of the whole, not for the individual. No matter how many times I read the Bible... I can't fully grasp the love of Jesus. He loved those who didn't expect it or deserve it. And his love changes everything. Current tense, not past tense. His love changes everything. Jesus showed us on the cross what restoration can look like. And he called us back to who we are created, not past tense, active current tense, what we are, who we are created to be. His love is something that is given to us and something that he has given through us to others. God came as a man, took on flesh, walked the earth with us in the person of Christ to deliver his special message of love and salvation. And this love given to us enables us to do all sorts of really cool, crazy things. But it helps us to live life with each other, both in and outside the confines of this space. Jesus once said that those who follow him would be recognized by the way that they love others. And the way that we love others is an overflow from the love that we have experienced, from receiving the grace and byproduct of God's love. So if there's one thing that you're going to remember here today, if you're a note-taking person, you might want to jot it down. I promise you will see it again. If there's one thing I want you to think about today, it's this. Specifically, this. We owe people an encounter with the love that has been given to us. We owe people an encounter with the love that has been given to us. So good morning. Welcome to Riverbend. Community church. Living for Jesus. Loving the valley. We want people to know us by our love. So, I realize not everybody sitting in this space this morning or watching online is maybe at the same spot in their faith journey that I am, or maybe you are. Maybe there are people in this room who don't know who Jesus is. Maybe they've heard of him, they think he's a cool dude, but they're not really hip on the church thing or like the Christian thing, and and I get that too. If you've been burned by church, I'm sorry. I've I've probably been that guy at some point, but I know that I've also been burned. But we're all walking this journey together. So I have a special request for those of you who are joining us today who are not Christians. Number one, super stoked to hear. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Number two, I want to ask you to do something for us today. Number one, not tune out. Number two, this whole loving people thing is like the central part of the Christian faith. The person who brought you to church today, who invited you to come sit with us today, really, really believes that. And I'm going to ask you, not Christian person, to hold them and hold me and hold us accountable to it. Because to be honest, it's something that we're really bad at. Christians throughout history are not really good at loving people. We're really good at loving Jesus and loving ourselves, but we're not really good at loving people. And that hurts my heart.
1: And I think it hurts the heart of Jesus too.
0: So can I ask you to walk with us not just through today's message, not yet Christian, not going to be Christian, maybe not there with Jesus' person, but walk with us in the weeks and months to come. Because we're going to have good days, we're going to have bad days, we're going to do really good at loving others, we're going to do really bad at loving others. So I'm also going to ask you to show us a little bit of grace. Because we're going to fall down, we're going to stumble, we're going to stub our toe, we're going to say bad words, we're going to do things that we don't want to do, right? The heart is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I get an amen, Christians in the room? All right, so here we are, future church. We're talking about what the church could look like, what the church... I'm not going to say should. There's three words in my vernacular. Woulda, coulda, and shoulda, I don't like. I eliminated those a long time ago. So we're going to talk about what church, what God wants church to look like. So first question I really have to ask us is, what's the purpose of this? What, what is the purpose of church? Why do we do this? Has anybody ever wondered that? Has everybody ever wondered why, like, there's one person standing up here and everybody over there is looking this way? It kind of bothers me. I, I actually would really love to just, like, circle all the chairs and actually like have us like sit together like that would be much more comfortable to me like a living room like that would be super cool that's not what we're doing today so what's the purpose of church a healthy church just like a good baseball team baseball teams need to hit pitch and play defense right well a healthy church needs to function to do three things first and foremost is what we just did we are created to worship the lord God wants our worship. He wants our voices. Your good voice, your bad voice, your on-time clap, your not-yet-on-time clap, your good dance, your bad dance. He wants your worship. He loves it when we just pour it all out, when we just lay it all out for him. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And here's the key part. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, in your hearts to God. First and foremost, the church exists to worship. So you could be a Christian and not come to church, and you're going to be missing a huge part of what this is. It is us together in community, on key voices, not on key voices. I don't know the song. I sang the wrong verse. I'm guilty of that when I lead worship. (laughs) But all of us together in community, that is so critically important, lifting our voices to God. There's something special. I I can play these songs at home on my guitar, and it's great, and I have some great moments, and those of you guys who are musicians maybe have those moments too, but there's something different when you get into the room, and everybody else's voice is there, and everybody else's heartbeat is there, and people are crying, or people are singing happy, or they're dancing. just like, wow, God, this is a special, beautiful moment. First and foremost, we are created to worship. Secondly, what is the importance of a church? This is, a, this is really, really important, and it's probably the one thing that I think gets missed the most. It's to teach people about Jesus. It's to teach people about God. It's to help people become fully devoted disciples. So that means my responsibility as a communicator, uh, the staff's responsibility, the worship team's responsibility is to help present all of us as mature Christians to God the Father. Now maturity, I don't know, newsflash, like I've got a couple kids They don't happen to be mature pretty quick. And even when they become grown adults and they leave the house, sometimes they're still lacking in maturity. At 44, I'm still lacking some maturity. Let's be honest, folks, right? So it's a process. So if you get to a season where you're like, hey, this church isn't feeding me anymore, or I'm not growing as a Christian anymore, don't look here. Look around you. Because your next step as a growing Christian to become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus is to pour into the lives of others. That's why we ask you to serve. I mean, we could hire people to go work in the kids' ministry if we really wanted to. It's probably not the most cost-effective thing. Jason McDaniel, please don't hear what I just said. (laughs) But we want to create opportunities for you to serve. That's why there were six people up on the stage this morning. You could just have Chris up here with an acoustic guitar and it would be just as effective but why we create opportunities for people to serve, we create opportunities for us to grow. You don't have to be the best musician in the world. You don't have to be the best communicator. You don't even have to be the best, the best teacher with kids. You just got to be willing, faithful, accountable, teachable. Why do we do this church thing? Because we want to worship the Lord, and number two, we want to become mature, and becoming mature is a process. And that means sometimes you have the hard conversation. Man, I really, I really you know... Drop the football on this one, guys. I'm sorry. And, 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 and you hold yourself accountable. Or you invite others to hold you accountable, and you walk the walk. Third, and the thing that I think a lot of churches do with a lot of intentionality is number three, and this is to minister to the world by sharing grace and mercy. But that grace and mercy has got to start inside this house. If you've ever been to a church and you felt like, you thought, like, the place was going to blow up because you walked in there. I promise you it won't. It's a place of grace and mercy. This is a first aid station for the wounded. This is a place where nobody, this is not a wax museum of saints where everybody's perfect. Okay? We all have our flaws. Like, I'm having a bad hair day. That's, that's my flaw today. So, and, and bad jokes, yes. <laughs> I specialize in bad jokes. But grace and mercy, we're supposed to be conduits of grace and mercy. And it starts here in the church, inside the body, inside these spaces here, inside our communications and our relationships. But then it goes out into the world. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus tells us, he says, Love your enemies. Do good. Give. Lend. Expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons and daughters of the Most High God, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That mercy's got to start in here, ladies and gentlemen. We have to do it here. So that means when, we, when we're frustrated with our staff, when we're frustrated with our community group leaders, when we're frustrated with the person sitting in, this, in the row next to or whatever, the grace starts here. We can't be graceful out there without being graceful here first. It's the mercy of the Lord that changes us. That's where that love comes from.
1: So, worship, teaching, so we can become mature, and then grace and mercy to each other, to the world around us. Any uh, fans of 80s music?
0: What is love? (laughs) I knew I'd get somebody. I knew I'd get somebody, right? So, that's my next question for us this morning. What is love? What is love? We all have some different ideas about what love is. And I'll tell you, the house that I grew up in, love looked like the fist. And I know that's the story for some of us in this room today. Some of us have had amazing home families, and that's great too. But love, like I said, with the confines of this space, this this body, starts with grace and mercy. starts with relational willingness to be kind to each other. When, was, when Jesus was asked about what the greatest commandment was, he quotes this Old Testament passage, and he says that we're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the, this is the first and greatest commandment, right, is to love God. But the second is just like it, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. If we were to shorten that up into four words, it's love God, love people. Really, really simple, folks. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are all about loving God. The next six are all about loving people. This is what it's all about: loving God and loving people. But what is love? What, is, what, what does Jesus mean when he says, "Love the Lord your heart with all your God?" or "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind, all your strength?" Well, at the time that the Bible was written Hebrew was the primary language of the Jewish nation. And most of the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. Almost all of it is written in Hebrew. The New Testament, though, the story of Jesus and and onward, was written actually in Greek. The Roman Empire had expanded. Uh, Alexander the Great had a couple really cool conquests, and unfortunately he died somewhere along the way. Um, But Greek was the language of the day. And so if you're looking for the word love in the Greek language, you'll find seven different ways to describe love. Just as the Eskimos have hundreds of different words for ice, the Greeks had seven different words for love. And I, just, I want to hit the four that show up in the Bible today. The first one is eros. Eros, or erotic love. This is from the, the, the Greek mythology. The, the Romans took eros. In, in Greek mythology, it's Cupid. Um, but this is a little g, God, not big G, our God. This is like little g, like not really a God, I'm trying to be a God, but isn't cool enough to be a God. Eros. Eroticism, sexual desire, physical attraction, intimacy. Eros seeks to serve itself it seeks to serve its own interests it seeks its own satisfaction in the time that the bible the new testament was written uh it was not uncommon for people to be with people i know there's kids in the room so i want to make sure i phrase this in a way that we understand but we're not gross it was not uncommon for people to be with people and be with lots of different people were we driving we're picking up on what what i'm laying down okay God, in his infinite wisdom and his heart for us, understands, like, he, he gave us intimacy, right? It, it, it's like the coolest thing about being married, or one of the coolest things about being married. There's lots of other cool things about being married, just to be honest, right? Before I walk myself into a corner, I can't back out of there. Um, but God wanted Eros to be within the context of ministry, not or of marriage. Not because he's a killjoy, not because he's like, man, I don't want you to have any fun. No, he says, your heart, it's fickle, it's tender, it bruises easily, it gets wounded. You ever make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and try to pull a peanut butter and jelly sandwich apart? You get stuck peanut butter stuck in the jelly, jelly stuck in the peanut butter? It doesn't come apart easy. And then if you try to make that sandwich over and over again, suddenly that strawberry and peanut butter jelly sandwich doesn't taste like a strawberry and peanut butter jelly sandwich anymore. Who wants one? Um... God's desire for Eros was for the context of marriage, because that's where the heart would be less wounded than any other place. The second kind of love in, that we find in the Bible is called storge, or storge, uh, depending on how you decide to pronounce it. It's described as family love. I see a lot of families here, so I'm hoping that there's a lot of storge happening. This is the bonds that my wife and I have with our son and our daughters, and, and the way that my son and daughters hang out and love each other, right? It's a, it's a family bond. It's a strong bond for, in a healthy context, but that's what Storge was. And then there's Phila, or Phileo, depending on your translation. Uh, anybody recognize we're an hour north of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Commonly referred to as brotherly love, Phila describes the powerful, emotional, deep bonds of intimate friendship. Hopefully, you have a really, really good friend in your life. Not just your spouse if you're a married person, but you have a good, deep friend in your life. That is the phyla. That is the phileo. The Apostle John often referred to himself in the third person way before it was cool for Prince to do it. And he talked about how he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the word that he used there was phileo or phyla. In his last conversation with the disciples, Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give you. Remember, he'd given you two already, right? To love God and to love people. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my children, my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word that he used there is phyla. Have the deep relational bonds of intimacy with each other. Church. Church. We're supposed to worship. We're supposed to become mature. We're supposed to love the world with grace and mercy. You can't do that if you don't love each other. You don't develop those deep bonds of friendship. Fourth kind of love that we see is called agape. This is probably a pretty common word for a lot of us here, agape. It's seen as the highest form of love. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is willing to lay its life down. It hangs on a cross for us. It is pure. And we see this best in John 3.16, when God so loved the world, he did what? Gave his one and only son. You don't even have to be a sports fan to know that one, folks, right? You know, John three. Six, it, it is the crux of the, of the Christian faith. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we might have eternal life with God the Father. In John chapter 21, we see Jesus and Peter have a cool little get-together on the beach have a little coal fire and there's some fish. And Jesus has this really deep conversation, this phileo conversation with Peter. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? The first two times he says, do you phileo me? Or do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you have the highest form of love for me? Feed my sheep. Do you have the highest form of love for me? Feed my lambs. And then he asks him the third time, and he uses the word phileo instead of agape. He says, are you even my friend? And this is what cut Peter so deeply to the bone. Are you even relationally intimate and deep with me? Are you, are you even my friend?
1: Clearly, if there was ever a singular word
0: to describe God's character, or characterize God's intention for humanity and desire, it's agape. It's love. He has the highest form of love for us, and he calls us to. It is the central tenet of biblical Christianity. And according to my favorite British Thelonians, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, they say all you need is love. So there's four different kinds of love, right? There's Eros, there's Storge, Phileo, and then there's Agape. This perfect sacrificial love. So now that we have learned the context of Agape, I need to hit you with a little something this morning. It's this. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's not me. That's Paul in in First Corinthians chapter eight. It says love builds up. I don't care how smart you are. I mean, I do. I think it's really cool that you're smart, and I'm proud of you for being smart and, and, and that I, pursuing it. I I would be a lifelong student if I was given the opportunity. If college wasn't so expensive, if I could just have scholarship after scholarship. Coach, can you hook me up? I'm not fast. <laughs> um, I, I love I love learning, but learning without love. Is useless. Paul apparently got the memo. He got the memo so well that he wrote down for us and all of his friends in the town of Corinth a very practical way to remember how love works. If you've ever been to a wedding or maybe you've seen the movie Wedding Crashers, you're likely to have heard this passage of scripture before. And while it seems appropriate for use in a wedding, it's actually taken grossly out of context because it's really meant to describe how followers of Jesus are supposed to interact with each other and the world. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's going to be up on the screen next to me. If you don't have a Bible, totally cool. We have a stack of them out on the resource table. Please take one home on your way. Take, take one home. Take one with you on your way home. There we go. I promise it's COVID free and it's good for you. It's a good word. Yes? All right. Last week, Joe taught on on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he highlighted how every person, regardless of where you are at in your faith journey, has a divine role to play in this life. And he said this. He said, now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed inside the church first apostles and then prophets and then teachers and then miracles and then gifts of healing and helping and ministrating in various different kinds of tongues. He goes on to say that is everybody an apostle? Is everybody a prophet? Are all of you teachers? Do all of you work miracles? Do all of you possess the gifts of healing? Do all of you speak with tongues or interpret? But earnestly, we are to desire the higher gifts. Desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so as we kick into chapter 13, this is how Paul starts out. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Wes, can you hit a cymbal for me? Later. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to move mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have
1: and if I deliver up my body to be burnt but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Let's talk about Corinth. Corinth was a trade
0: town few hundred miles west of Athens. And it was really, really popular for bronze working there. That's why Paul quotes, Am I nothing more than a loud, crazy cymbal or a gong? But they were also a trade town with a lot of different languages. And God, as his spirit was moving throughout the area and the Holy Spirit was doing what it does, people started talking different things. And people... Didn't understand because there wasn't always somebody there to interpret. So this, this place, though, was really popular for spreading gnosis or experiential knowledge. People like to hang out in the Acropolis or cool places or maybe even like the local college and share the latest and greatest ideas. Well, I think this. Well, I think this. Well, let's talk about this. And They have dialogues and discussions. But if they don't have love, they're just making noise. They're, they're a cowbell with no, no band, Right? They loved to share new philosophies. They to loved to share new faiths. And all these other things were very, very rampant. And some people in piety, in an effort to be more righteous than other people, would try to outgive other people. Maybe even outgive to the point of laying down their life for the good of someone else. But to Paul's point, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how gifted you are, how eloquent or how generous you are, or even how deep your faith is. All of that is meaningless. We quote Ecclesiastes, It is worthless, it is dust in the wind, if you don't have love. If your heart is empty and it's not full of the love of God, you are a noisy gong. You are a cowbell in an empty room. You are wasting your crap. And this is why Paul says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The word that Paul uses for love in this passage, if you don't have agape, if you don't have the highest form of love if you don't have the love of God flowing in you, then all of your education is moot. All of your giving is moot.
1: All of your talents are moot.
0: And so Paul offers us still a more excellent way, and this is what love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7, through seven, this is what he says.
1: He says, love is patient, and it's kind.
0: It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, and it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Said another way, love waits for other people, even when it's inconvenient for you. Love waits for another person even when they're offended or hurt. Love extends grace to others people, to other people even when they can't see the good in the darkness before them. Even when despair shrouds their joy and their things ahead of them, love extends grace. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't try to take the blessings of other people. So your neighbor's rich, good for him. He's saddled with the responsibility of being generous. That's heavy like being the gift of leadership. That's not a, that, that's not a light yoke either, folks. Love doesn't try to take away the blessings of other people and the gifts of other people. Love doesn't party hardy to make a show of things of how cool grace is the next morning. Love is civil. It's courteous. Love makes allowances for the failures of other people, and it's ready to forgive and move on. Love celebrates what is true and is outraged by injustice. Love doesn't break down in the face of adversity. Love holds fast the promises of God. Love overcomes. The kind of love that's described here is impossible if it's not rooted in God's perfect love. Eros is selfish. It wants what it wants when it wants it. It wants its own way. Storge tries to see the good of others, but even the bonds of family break down over time. His children eventually move out on their own, make families of their own, develop their own Storge relationships. Leah comes close, but even the deepest friendships break down over time. We're seasonal at best. Only the love of God has the patience to wait for all of eternity, to wait for you and I to make that step towards him because he's already closed the chasm. Only the love of God has the strength to hold opposites of a magnet together or apart at his will. And it's been my experience that only in church do you find such a dichotomy of personalities. Where else can Philly, New York, and Dallas fans all celebrate under one roof? Where, can I, where else can a Padre fan wish good joy to a Dodgers fan? Kidding aside, the the hallmark of a Christian community, the hallmark of what love is supposed to be is when all walks of life, when all socioeconomic groups, when all various degrees of education are able to come together united under the banner of not the church, not your income, not the way you voted, not your stance on political rights or wrongs, but under the banner of Christ. This is the only place in my experience where engineers and social workers
1: become great friends because
0: of a mutual love for a higher God, for a Jesus that walked among us, for a Holy Spirit that's moving in us and through us right now. The faith community is the place where we rally around our cups that overflow. And our cups look something like this, right? Right? The love of God pours out into the church, and in the church, that that cup overflows into worship, and it overflows into discipleship, and it overflows into grace and mercy for each other. And then we leave this space hopefully remembering one thing that we talked about today, and we take that grace and mercy and we share it with others around us. Only when your cup overflows do you have the strength to love another
1: the way that God loves you. And my
0: family, over these last two months, have been the recipient of this grace. We've been the unexpected recipient of the grace and love of others. I would tell you a year ago, cancer certainly wasn't in my cards. You know, and unfortunately, it doesn't wait for anybody. It doesn't pick a convenient time either, because it is what it is. And yet, there have been weeks where we haven't made a meal. There have been times when an Amazon package shows up at my door, and it's got some great cream for... Or my hands or my lotion or my head because everything's drying out or maybe even some wooden utensils because on the recommendation of a friend who walked this journey before, sometimes metal tastes funny. Sometimes, I mean, my wife and I deep cleaned the fridge yesterday because it just smelled weird. I'm having a whole new level of empathy for women as I have hot flashes that never go away and I feel bloated and I've got a sense of smell that I can smell coffee brewing down the street.
1: The blessings of love keep
0: pouring into this house of mine. And now I have nothing to do but to say thank you. Because this is what a community looks like. This is what a faith community is supposed to be. These blessings may never have been realized had cancer not reared its ugly head in our family, become the unwelcome vest and guest that I have to evict over the next couple of months. I am thankful to have a deep faith community that loves my family and each other so well. Right now, there are people all around us who are crying out in their own pain. Crying out in their confusion and in their hurt. There are people right now who need to experience what my family has been experiencing over these last couple of months. There are people around us who are looking for someone to come to them when they're vulnerable. And say, hey, love you. More so, God loves you. It's okay. And I know, I know it sounds weird, but it's Okay. Let me walk with you. Sometimes you don't have to say it. Sometimes just your presence is the gift of love that is needed. Paul makes it clear that we, Christians, the church, have the sacred responsibility to be conduits of God's love. And this is why we owe people an encounter with the love that has been given to us. Love is not passive. It's not idle. Love does. It acts on behalf and the interest of another.
1: So here's what I would like to ask you to think about this week.
0: If I could ask you three things. Check your cup, is, the mo- is, is what it's all about. Number one, it's check your cup. So this week, how can you love God and love people? Can you take time to sing songs in the shower? Sounds great, there, by the way. In your car where nobody can hear you? And just let your cup be filled with the love of God the Father through song. Most worship songs are five minutes or less.
1: Can you take five minutes to sing a song to the Father? Say thank you.
0: Can you love God by taking a few minutes to listen or read the Bible? Read one song or one chapter. On average, it takes 12 minutes. 12 minutes of your life to read one chapter of the Bible. You may not even understand half of what you read. And I get it. It takes time. Sometimes, sometimes you need somebody to come alongside you and walk with you and teach you those things. And that's really cool too.
1: Can you devote five minutes to a song and 12 minutes to the word?
0: 17 minutes of your life each day. Because number three is, is, is critical. It's so critical. You can't do number three if you don't do number one and number two. Number three, I want you to love people. Share from your overflowing cup. If your cup is not overflowing and you're sharing, you are going to burn out. You are going to run dry. I have been there. It is a desolate, scary, lonely place where you're in a crowded room full of people you know and you feel utterly alone. That is a dark wilderness, folks. Don't go there. Let your cup be filled. Let it be filled with five minutes of song and 12 minutes of reading. It only takes a couple minutes for you to brighten somebody else's day. It only takes a couple
1: minutes for God to brighten yours. Would you pray with me?
0: Father, we love you. We do. We love you because you loved us first. And we know that the agape love, the highest form of love that you call us to, is way beyond what we're capable of. It is literally impossible for us to find on our own. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to meet us where we're at right now. To fill our cups, to fill our cups in ways that we aren't able to fill them. Fill us with your spirit, with your word, with your song. Give us the strength that we need today to go out into the world and to give people the encounter of love that you have given us.
1: Help us to love you and to love people. Turn this world right upside down. We praise you in Jesus perfect name, and I invite everybody to say.